Good morning. morning. I just want to say how incredibly encouraging it is to hear you sing. Like, it's awesome, and not to be taken for granted, that we are part of a faith family of people who come to worship, not to watch worship. And so as we started that song, just it was absolutely overwhelming to me to just to hear your voices over Allison's voice singing that truth. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for coming, not to observe, but to engage. And I know that's true in worship, and I know that's true as we open God's word, that you would engage, you would receive what God has for you, not to walk out of here the same. This morning, as we step into a new year in 2024, and I don't know about you, but Christmas seems like a long time ago, not for Troy. Christmas is always like, right? Did you notice that he started talking about spring? Like, it's not spring. He's trying to get us around the calendar to get back to Christmas. Like, it's still very much winter. Like, so if you see Troy later, remind him it's still winter, and Christmas is now about 300 and, I don't know, 55 days away. So, but as we step into a new year, I want us to start by laying a foundation, going back to our roots, going back to what is core to who we are as a church, to who God has called us to be as followers of Jesus. I'm going to show you a couple pictures, two, two pictures actually. One picture you're going to recognize. The other one, it's going to be a miracle if somebody recognizes. It's going to be an even bigger miracle if someone has been there. But these, both these pictures, separated by thousands of miles, share a common theme, share a common challenge, and a common story. You see the story picture on the left. Pretty sure everybody knows, right? If you don't know what the picture on the left is, don't raise your hand. We will tell you. That is, that is the Tower of Pisa, which is also known as what? Leaning. leaning Tower of Pisa. Do you know what the Leaning Tower of Pisa was originally built to be? It was, it was built to be straight. Yes, that was the... <laughs> <laughs> it was built to be a straight bell tower. <laughs> it was a bell tower. There's actually a church built around it. That was just part of the church. No one really knows about the church because of this. And, and it, this was built years and years and years ago, 1172, 1172 or 1173, construction begins. And five years later, they got to the third floor. Their progress there is about as quick as our construction process around here. <laughs> so they got to the third floor after five years, and they started to notice this lean. Now, Pisa literally means marshy. Like the entire city sits on a marsh. It's not a firm foundation. It's not a great place to build, especially when you're going that high. Well, they get to the third level, the third floor, and war breaks out and construction stops. They're trying to figure out how do we move forward. Well, a hundred years later, they come back to begin building again, and they had a brilliant idea. If it's leaning to the right, build a little bit more on the left. No, I mean, God handed it to them. I mean, it's creative, right? And they proceed to build, and this, this is completed 200 years after it originally started. Dedication. Dedication, yes. And then, as you know, over the years, the leaning didn't stop. The leaning continued, so much so that as this became an international tourist attraction, they had to close it because it was unsafe and they were afraid it was going to fall over. So actually, this, a tower that was intended to be straight, that was intended to be a bell tower, became an international tourist attraction for its failure. Now, the building on the right is the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo. Anybody been there? Okay, didn't think so. That actually isn't standing anymore, but it's not because of its foundation. 
You see, Tokyo, this hotel is located in one of the most earthquake-prone regions in the world. And as famed architect Frank Lloyd Wright began researching how to build this hotel, he realized and recognized through some research that they could build the hotel on a 60-foot layer of soft mud underneath the hotel that would allow it to literally float and serve as a buffer for future earthquakes. In 1923, September 1st of 1923, construction was concluded on this hotel, and it opened, ironically, the same day that the largest earthquake in 52 years hit Tokyo. All around it, buildings crumbled, yet this building stayed. In the days following the earthquake, the architect was actually back in the States and through different conflicting reports wondered if it was still standing and 10 long days later received this telegram, hotel stands undamaged as monument of your genius. Hundreds of homeless provided by perfectly maintained service. Congratulations. This building on the left, a poor foundation. The building on the right, a good foundation. We know now foundations are key, right? The, your house sits on a foundation that is important, that it is sure. Everything we do, not just what we build, but everything we pursue, we know that anything that takes time, effort, and energy, anything that's worth building, anything that's worth pursuing, begins with the basics. Oftentimes we say, go back to the basics. Sometimes in sports, you hear someone going back to their mechanics, knowing that it's the essentials, the seemingly insignificant things that lead and allow you to build something significant as you move forward. That's not something new. That's actually something Jesus talked about. Because as I'm talking about foundations, many of you are probably already thinking about a story that Jesus told as he wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount. And interestingly, we know the story, but I think it's important for us to remember where the story falls. The story of the wise builder and the foolish builder doesn't come out of left field. The story comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has literally turned upside down the understanding of who God is and how he has called his followers to respond to him. And at the end of that, he says, gives us this story, this parable. He says, everyone then who hears these words, the Sermon on the Mount, all the things I've just said, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Foundations are essential if we are to build something that lasts. Foundations are essential if we are to avoid the turmoil, the storms that this world will bring our way. As we step into a new year together as a faith family, we are all part of the story that God is writing here at Sanctuary. And what I love about the local church is God is taking your individual story. God intimately knows every detail of your story and is writing your story. At the same time, he's brought you here to this faith family because your story is intersecting with all of the stories around here. And God is taking the faith family here and building something that points to him. Building something that points to who he is and the goodness of God that we just sang about. This past year has certainly been challenging for us as a faith family. As we sit here at the beginning of 2024, it's very different than we were at the beginning of 2023. 
But what has been so encouraging to me is talking to many of you over the last couple weeks and months has been your optimism and your hope and your excitement and your anticipation around what God has next, what God is going to continue to do. The fact that what I've heard again and again is God's not done here. God's not done with his church here. He's not done with the church down the street. He's not done with the church that way down the street. He's not done with the church in Cambodia or the church in Guatemala. God is still on his throne and he's still working and he still wants to use his people to tell his story. As we move forward as a faith family here, we don't know what the future holds. But we, like you, know who holds us. And we know, just as we sang this morning, we talked about a foundation. We talked about his goodness. We talked about his goodness running after us. My question is, do you believe that's true? Can you look to the back? Can you look past in the past year for you and your life and go, can you speak to God's goodness in the midst of probably good, hard ups and downs? And then as you look ahead to this next year, can you point ahead to God's goodness and say, I choose to trust God's goodness? Knowing that God's goodness is going to look different. The circumstances are going to be different. There are going to be events. There's going to be loss. There's going to be heartache. There's going to be triumphs. There's going to be all kinds of things that come this next year. And regardless of how you feel, the goodness of our God does not change. That is a foundation on which we can live. That's a foundation on which we must stand. We don't want to be foolish. We want to be wise. Honestly, I, we do not need New Year's resolutions because those come and go. What we need is a firm foundation. So as we're starting off this year, the next three weeks, we've entitled Firm Foundation. And we're going to be talking through the foundation we believe God is calling us to build on here as a church. That's not just for us here but it's for us individually, it's for us as a faith family, but it's also for us individually. And our hope is that it, it helps clarify, it helps simplify. It's a rallying cry for us to say, yes, I want that. Yes, I want those things to be true of me. I want those things to be evident in my life. I want those things to be foundational so the rest of my life can build on those things. You see, we could go in a lot of different directions. We've been asking the question, what does God want to be true of us? So what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you a statement that kind of sums this up. And then I want to break this down. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to dive into various components of this. When we ask the question, who are we as a faith family and who are we as Jesus followers? We feel like this is a good summation of that an answer to that question. Sanctuary or we as individuals exist to live and love like Jesus by... Loving God, loving others, and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been around sanctuary for any length of time, you have heard living and loving like Jesus many, many times. If you've gotten anything written from sanctuary, it's probably include that statement. If you've walked around here, it's probably on the walls. It's in various places. We talk about it all the time. We want to be a people who live and love like Jesus. You see, as disciples of Jesus, it is our call to represent Jesus to the world around us. Our desire should be to live and love like Jesus in such a way that accurately reflects him to the world around us. Let me, let me think, have you think about it this way. Any of you have a favorite sports team? That wasn't, wasn't a funny question. Like, <laughs> it's okay to have a favorite sports team. Yes, we have favorite sports teams. When have you ever seen a representative 
a fan from the fan base of your sports team, and when you've seen them, heard them, or watched them, you've cringed inside. Right? You've gone, oh, that is not who we are. Or that is not me. Right? We've all seen it, right? That, that is not really a representative of our team. That's not who I want speaking for us. Think about it. I don't think God gets embarrassed of being misrepresented. I think God gets grieved. Because the goal, the desire of us to live and love like Jesus is to accurately represent him, reflect him to the world around us. And there's two components of that that are significant. One I believe when that doesn't happen, I believe God is grieved for those who are misrepresenting. Because by misrepresenting God, you and I are actually missing out on God's best for us. We're not living the way he's called us to live. We're not doing what he's called us to do. We're not embodying who he's called us to be. And God goes, "Ah, I've got so much more. It could be so much better for you. On the flip side, those who see and observe the misrepresentation, those who are misperceiving, those ones are actually missing out on God's best. Because what they're seeing when you and I are not living and loving like Jesus is a misrepresentation of Jesus, and they walk away thinking that Jesus is something that he's not. Either way, when we think about living and loving like Jesus, it is our desire to accurately reflect Jesus to the world around us. It's not a list of things for us to do. It is who God has called us to be. We recognize, or and, um, actually jumping back, before we talk, we say living and loving like Jesus, but another title for that would be Christian, right? Christian, you probably are familiar, that was coined in a, t- a town called Antioch in the early church. It was actually used as a derogatory term to describing these people that were following the way. They were a little weird, a little off, not sure what they're doing. Let's just give them a title. Let's call them Christians. What does Christians mean? Little Christs. As followers of Jesus, our call is to be little Christs, to live and love like Jesus and to reflect him. And Paul in Ephesians 1, or Ephesians 5, verse 1, sums it up simply there. He says, be, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We recognize the invitation to follow Jesus was not just to live in proximity to Jesus, but to live reflectively of Jesus. So the question becomes, how do we do that? What does that look like? Because I think when asked, what does it look like to live and love like Jesus, the list could get pretty long, right? Like you, you fill in your blanks, I'll fill in my blanks, and we come up with a whole lot of things that we feel compelled to do in order to live and love like Jesus. You see, the question, this can really be coming, these three components, the undergird, living and loving like Jesus for us as a faith family and us as individuals, loving God, loving others, and making disciples are anchored in the greatest commandment and the great commission. And as we'll see as we dive into the great commandment, Jesus is a master at simplifying. As you step into a new year, if you feel overwhelmed, when it comes to your relationship with God for all the things you need to do or should do or all the things you don't know and things you need to learn, can I just encourage you that Jesus is sitting with open hands inviting you to simply follow. Jesus doesn't make things complicated. He makes things simple. Check this out. 
in Matthew 22, we get where we find the greatest commandment. Jesus is being inundated by these religious leaders. And in Matthew 22, it's literally just it's one case after another. They're coming after him, asking him questions, all with the intention of trying to trap him, trying to catch him, trying to undermine him, trying to get him in trouble. And in verse 34, we come to an exchange with a lawyer. Since when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This may seem like an odd question, what's the greatest commandment? But this was a common conversation amongst the religious leaders of the day, a common debate. There were different schools of thought. There were different understandings of what was greatest because the reality was everyone understood one thing. You can't do it all. At that time, the, relig- the Jewish law had been, there were 613 documented commandments. 613. And they they thought they would take it a step further and go, hey, let's simplify this. Let's have heavy and light commandments. Heavy meaning those are the things you really should do. These are like recommendations. So if you don't do those, we're going to give you a free pass. So 613 commandments. There's no way. There's no way you can do all of them. So the lawyer comes and says, which one is most important? Let's prioritize and take the most important one first. When it comes to living and loving like Jesus, we don't have 613, but I'm guessing you, like me, at many times step back and go, that's simply not possible. Like, the only person who can live and love like Jesus is Jesus. I can't do that. So how do I, how do I pursue that? Why would I even pursue something I can't ever actually do? Just like Jesus is summarizing the law, He's also giving us direction for today. Remember, Jesus was being tested with an age-old question, but there's no trapping God. There are two really important truths that I love about Jesus' response that give us insight into the heart of our God, our foundational to understanding and following our God, and it's this. Two things we see here that should be incredibly encouraging is that our God doesn't keep adding to the list of things we need to do. Jesus didn't show up on the scene and go, well, now that God's here, I'm going to give you the real homework. I'm going to give you the real list. I'm going to give you all the things you should really be doing. He doesn't add to it. How frustrating would that be if God always kept adding? But what I also love about this is Jesus reflects the heart of God that shows us that God doesn't discard what he's previously said. Just as it would be discouraging if God kept adding things, can you imagine if he kept taking things away? And you're like, dang it, I was really good at that one. Like, why'd you take that one off? Like, take this one off. Or you're looking at the things and you're going, well, I'm trying to prioritize because I'm trying to guess which one he's going to take off next. And so I want to make sure I'm doing the things he keeps and not doing the things he's going to take away because that's not going to matter next year. How, what a blessing is it that all throughout scripture, we see a God who doesn't change. We see God, a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's comfort. There's security in that. There's clarity in that. 
Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus came on the scene to correct how what God had previously said had been twisted and misrepresented over the years. This question, what is the greatest commandment, was the perfect setup for Jesus to take his followers back to the basics. For him to remind them and us today what the foundation he desires us to build on is. I want us to see that God is not what God see that God is simplifying. He's not changing the requirements. When he speaks of loving God and then loving others, he's pointing to two key passages in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your um, soul and with all your might. And then next to it, he's connecting this for the first time. He's taking these two, Deuteronomy, which everyone would have known, and Leviticus. He's saying, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. At the same time, just to show you another glimpse of what's the constant consistency of our God, he's then connecting. If you go back to We don't know 613 commandments, but I'm pretty sure we're all familiar with a list of 10, right? Well, even look at the list of 10. The 10 comes down in two categories. The first four 10 commandments are about your vertical relationship with God. They're all about what it looks like to love God first, love God most, love God with your whole heart. And then what does the second six have? It's all about the horizontal relationship. It's all about how you're going to love others. From the very beginning, God is saying, hey, a relationship with me. My people who reflect me are going to reflect me in two ways. You are going to be people who love me, and you're going to be people who love others. Now, out of that, there's a lot of implications. There's a lot of things we do. There's a lot of ways in which we live that out. But the reality is it can be summed up very simply. Love God, love others. So if we go back to the mission statement we mentioned earlier, We have the phrase, sanctuary exists to live in love like Jesus, which has always been true, which has always been an anchor to who we are as a church. But then when the question comes, how do we do that? We want to support that with three ways. Loving God, loving others, making disciples of Jesus Christ. Now think about it. Think about what it would look like if this stool only had two legs or only had one leg. Would it be comfortable? Would it be restful? Would it be helpful? No, it'd be worthless. If we can think about living and loving like Jesus as the top of a stool, supported by how are we going to do that? We are going to be people who love God, love others, and make disciples. It's from that posture, it's from that place, that foundation, that everything else builds. Now, that's true for me personally in my home. That's true for you and your home and your life. And that's true for us as a faith family. In the remaining time, I want us to dig into what it looks like for us to be people who love God. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to look at loving others and then what it looks like to make disciples. When we talk about loving God or doing anything for him, it is absolutely essential that we begin by remembering 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Loving God. When Jesus said, you need to love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, he was not saying 
so that God will love you. He was saying, because God loves you. Our love is always in response to his love. It's in response to what he's done. It's not to get something from him. It's been an age-old struggle, right? We believe that and then we drift from it. Paul in Galatians 3, after coming to the Galatians and sharing the gospel, the good news of who God is and how much he loves them and sharing the gospel with them and then receiving it, what does he say? He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Because they were taking the good news of God's love and then saying, oh, in order for God to love me now, I need to do something for him. That's not true. So in Matthew 22, 37, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He said earlier, he's pointing to Deuteronomy 6. Which Deuteronomy 6 was referred to as the Shema. If you watch the, the show, The Chosen, um, that the Shema is all over it. You hear it again and again and again. In the morning and the evening, Jewish people would recite the Shema. It was an anchoring. It was foundational to who God was, to who they were, to the God that they were following. But the beginning of it, Shema, actually comes from the Hebrew word hear, which is the very beginning of the Shema. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Loving God begins by you and I hearing, you and I listening. You see, when it comes here, Jesus, the Shema is, is talked is comes out of the word here, it's not just a, oh, I heard that. It's I heard it, I'm listening, I'm processing it, I'm, I'm applying it, I'm responding to it. I don't know if this happens at your house, um, but my kids have a great, do a great job of hearing what I tell them to do and then continuing to do whatever they want to do, right? Like loving me is going to res result in you responding, not just hearing me, but acting on what I have to say. Here, we, Jesus is pointing to this. And did you notice in the story with the, the builders? What is he, how does Jesus start that? Those who hear my words and do them, those who listen, receive it, act on it, that is the wise person. That is the person who's following me. Jesus points us to the greatest commandment being to love God with everything, heart, soul, mind. When we love God with all that we are, it impacts all that we do. When someone sets a goal to pursue something, it impacts all of the other things around you, doesn't it? When you decide you want to run a 5K or you decide you want to play a sport, it changes the other actions that you take. And Jesus knows that when he, we are committed to loving God, it will change these other things in our life as well. When children begin to grasp numbers, maybe you've heard them try to wow you with their numerical prowess. And if you notice how they love to get gravitate to big numbers, like as if like to show you what a big number is means something. A little girl once said, Mama, I love you 10 times. And then after a moment's thought, she said, Mama, I love you 20 times. And again, after a short pause, she said in a breathless tone, I love you 600 times. Mom gave her daughter a grateful kiss and a hug, which inspired the uh, child's final outburst. Mommy, I love you more than all the numbers. When God is saying, 
I want you to love me. And Jesus says, the greatest thing you can do is love God. It's not, well, how much love do you want, God? Jesus is saying, God gave you everything. He's asking for the same in response. Not a little bit, not some of it, but all of it, knowing that choice, that decision, that foundation to love God first will impact everything else. We expanded on this statement of loving God this way. When we said we love God with our, all our heart, mind, soul, and strength by worshiping him, growing in our understanding of who he is, and living in obedience to his word because he first loved us. So I want to end by pointing us to, we could spend hours talking about what it looks like to love God. But for the sake of simplicity, I want to just invite us to love God really with the three things that are listed here. Would we love God by standing in worship? When we love God through worship, we are acknowledging who he is, what he has done, and we're worshiping him, him for that. What we did at the beginning, when we come together, we're saying, God, this is true of you. Even if I don't feel like it's true, even if I'm not experiencing this truth, I know it is true because it is true of you. We love first by acknowledging who he is and what he has done. Secondly, we grow, love God by growing in our understanding of him. We desire in hunger and thirst to know God more and more. This is why we seek to understand God. This is why we open his word to study God's word. We want to know more about the attributes of our God, the heart of our God, to understand who he is, why he does what he does, what he has called us to do. You and I cannot, cannot love someone that we do not know. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You recognize who's writing this? Peter, somebody who lived with Jesus for three years, walked with him, saw him, interacted with him, had conversations with him. And years later, what is he doing? He's encouraging others to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For the rest of his life, Jesus was continuing to learn and understand a little bit more of who Jesus was, who God is, how Jesus was fulfilling all that God said he would do, and just unpacking layer after layer of that. He's inviting us to do the same. You see, in order to love someone, we need to know someone, right? We can't say we love God and then not choose to pursue him. Much like if I told you that I loved my wife and you said, well, how tall is she? I said, nah, I don't know. And you said, well, what color hair does she have? I was like, not sure. And you said, well, what does she like to do? I don't know you would probably begin to wonder if I could even pick my wife out in a crowd. Much less if I actually loved her. And so the invitation that God has for us, a God who we will never fully grasp, is an invitation to say, would you spend your life seeking to understand and know me more? Because our God has given us this. Because he wants to be known. He wants to understand, to see, and to know him for who he is, because in our growing and our understanding of him, that is how we will grow to love him more. Which is why around here, all the life group opportunities, group life opportunities, men's studies, women's studies, are opportunities we put in front of you simply to say, hey, this is a space 
When we say we want to love God, this is a way in which we love God by seeking to know him, seeking to understand him. So why? We've put it over in front of you over the last couple of weeks. Hey, would you take a step? Would you take a step? It doesn't have to be any of the things here. It could be anything else. But what would it look like for you to take a step and say, God, I want to know you more? Now here, big clarifying point. It is not for us to become really smart people about God. The desire is for us to become greater lovers of God. As we grow, it's not to puff us up. It's to lift him up, which goes right around to number one, which leads to greater worship because of what we now know about God, and which just deepens our love for him. Secondly, we've said, hey, group life opportunities are a place to grow, a place to understand, a place to learn. And it's the same way we've said, hey, what would it look like? Regardless of whatever you've got going on is great, but what would it look like for us as a faith family to just simply sit in God's word together this year? Which is why we threw out a couple Bible reading plans. We said, hey, some of us are just going to read through the Bible chronologically this year. And we invite you to get a group of people and do it together. How cool would it be if as a faith family we're reading the same things. If we're walking through the same things, talking about the same things, wrestling with the same things, celebrating the same things that we're learning about our good God. Once again, not because we're adding these things to a to-do list, but because we are desiring to grow in our love for God. Lastly, if we're going to stand in worship and we're going to grow in understanding, loving God, I believe, is going to require responding in obedience. Obedience doesn't necessarily sound like love. Obedience sounds like obligation. But that's not what God said. That's not what John said in John 4, or Jesus said it. And John John wrote it in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Much like I said earlier, about my kids hearing but not responding. When God tells us something, when God invites us and shows us the right way, and we choose to go our own way, that is not loving God. There's not shame in that. There's not guilt in that. There's not condemnation in that. But what we see again and again, when you and I go contrary to how God has called us to live, our God is welcoming us back, saying, hey, would you come back? There's forgiveness and there is grace but I want you to do it my way. Not because I want my way, but because I know my way is best for you. Obeying, responding in obedience is how we love God. So we go back to the beginning. Why do people visit the town of Pisa? It's to see a leaning tower because the foundation wasn't strong the end of this year, what would it look like for you to look back and say, yes, my life, the foundation is strong. The foundation is good. Now, there could be a lot of things in which you pursue, but can I just encourage you for us collectively as a faith family to go, hey, what if this next year we said, hey, God, I want to live in love like you. And as a result of that, I'm going to put three things in front of me. God, I want these to be true of me. I want to love you. I want to love others. And I want to make disciples like you have called me to do. That is a foundation that I believe God wants to build on here at Sanctuary. That's a foundation that I believe God wants to build on in your life, in my life, individually. And so my question for us this morning as we wrap up, is what would it look like to grow your love for God? And we talk about love, 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 love. So let me change the question. What would it look like to stir your affections for Jesus? 
What would it look like to stir your affections for Jesus? Not out of obligation, not out of duty, but out of love. God, would you stir in me a heart that loves you a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more? Because guess what? Rather than focusing on all the things you think you need to do, if that is front and center, the rest of the things will take care of themselves. Because when you love God, you want to do the things that God wants you to do and you want to be the person God has created you to be. Psalm 42.1 maybe is a prayer for you and for me this next year. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Maybe that's not you. But maybe you read that and you go, I want that to be me. That itself is a sign of life. That is a sign of God stirring in you saying, yes, that is best. That's what I'm calling you to. That's what I want to be true of you. Maybe this week, your prayer is simply, God, would you stir my affections for you? Would you grow my love for you? For me personally, in thinking about this, what I recognize is that in order for God to stir my affections for him, it takes me looking at what affections are being stirred in my life. It goes to what I'm talking about. It goes, impacts what I'm watching. It goes, impacts what I'm listening about to. It impacts what I'm thinking about. When I lay that before God and say, God, would you allow these things Would you allow everything I do to stir my affections for you? Guess what? It is going to change how I live this next week. And I hope it stirs my love for God in such a way that it deepens and grows each and every day. We believe that by going back to the basics, going back to the foundation, clarifying this foundation, that God has great things for you and great things for me and great things for us as a faith family. I don't know what God has in store. And we can choose to look to the future and be nervous personally and collectively about what this year may bring. Or we can do it confidently saying, I'm built on a foundation that will stand no matter what comes my way. So can I invite you to build your life on these three things and specifically this week to focus on what it looks like to grow in your love for God. If we want to build a life that lives and loves like Jesus, it's always going to start with loving him first because he loved us first. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for this truth. Thank you that you showed up on this scene and you took 613 and you summarized it into two. And really, you rolled everything into one and said, just love me. So God, in these moments, as minds are spinning, and God, you are speaking to the hearts in this room, God, can I just ask that you protect each one of us from letting loving you becoming one more thing to do? Instead, God, would you make loving you something that describes who we are? You don't want people who have loving you on a to-do list. You want people, followers, people who live and love like Jesus who are defined because they're lovers of you. So God, make that true of us. Make that true of this faith family. As people come in these doors, God, would they be marked? Would they be blown away by the love 
for you that just permeates this place. And God, wherever each one of us find ourselves this week, God, would you give us the strength to take a step, a step as you lead that would help to stir our affections for you. Because God, it is on that foundation that we seek to live and stand. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.